I'm going to turn around and he seems to be celebrating your goal. Alan is meant to be the difference in the Champions League. You know, they want one when it's a tight semi-final. He'll score one in a tight semi-final too. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The Six Nations show on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, we all belong to the team of us. Welcome along to the Six Nations show ahead of the last weekend of this year's championship. Ireland hoping to win an eighth successive Six Nations game on Saturday. A victory against England at the Aviva Stadium would seal a first championship and Grand Slam since the one that was achieved at Twickenham in 2018. The team of 1948 sealed the Sam in Belfast, but this is an opportunity to achieve the Grand Slam in Dublin for the very first time. So delighted to say we've got a Grand Slam winner in Grace David with us. Grace, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm good, Will. Um, big weekend. We've got Keen Tracy here in studio alongside me as well. And Grace, there is, I think, quite a bit of excitement and understandably quite a bit of confidence about Ireland. And perhaps the confidence has been improved further still with the news today that Caelan Doris and also Dan Sheehan are going to be fit to start this weekend. Yeah, I think that's huge. And it's even huge, you know, for the mindset of England. You know, they would have looked at that Scotland game and seen the amount of injuries Ireland had and it would have maybe get a bit of a boost thinking that we had lost so many players. So to see the likes of um, Sheehan come back in and Doris is huge. And, you know, you have the likes of Tyg Furlong who who put in a huge shift last week and, and Gibson Park starting as well. So obviously the only casualties of that is Henderson and, and Ringrose. And obviously Ringrose is a huge loss, but I think it, it's just brilliant. And, and I think it's a credit to Ireland and, you know, it's it's brilliant that we have such depth in so many different uh, areas. Yeah, for anyone who missed the team earlier today, so Dan Sheehan and Caelan Doris both fit to play, winning their races after picking up knocks last week against Scotland. Three changes in all from the team that started at Murrayfield. Two of them are in force. Robbie Henshaw comes in for Gary Ringrose, while Ryan Baird will get his third test start coming into the second row for Ian Henderson. And the other change, Keane, is that Jameson Gibson Park gets the nod after a very impressive cameo. Brian O'Driscoll was talking about, you know, how his passing transformed the play uh, when he came on last week. So he comes in for Conor Murray and Murray's going to be on the bench. Yeah, I think it's a fair call. I think this time, well, not this time last week, but when we were chatting, Will, um, on the show last week, I was saying that I felt Conor Murray was fully deserving of his starting place. And I still think Conor Murray has had a very good Six Nations. I think he was almost a bit of a victim of... um, Ireland's poor breakdown last week in the first half against Scotland he kind of got caught up in in bits and pieces because I think other players around them weren't doing their job which actually had a bit of um, a negative impact in terms of how Ireland were able to play in that first half so um, I don't think it's a slide on Conor Murray that he's been you know dropped to the bench I think you know I made this point last week Gibson Park is still Ireland's first choice scrum half it made a lot of sense to use him off the bench last week and he made such an important impact so um the roles will be reversed this week and I'd have no doubt that Conor Murray will come on and make a big impact as well. I think, you know, when he was starting to end up in the Ireland bench when Gibson Park ended up um, overtaking him, there was a lot of chat around, you know, what's the point in having Conor Murray on the bench? He doesn't add tempo that what Ireland need in the second half. Maybe you need someone like a Craig Casey. But you saw in Twickenham last year uh, against 14-man England when Ireland kind of, you know, struggled a little bit to eventually get over the line. But Conor Murray came off the bench that day and was exceptional as well. So he's more than capable, I think, of bringing the impact that Gibson Park did last week in his own kind of way. But... um, Having Gibson Park back in the starting team, um, like Grace said, in terms of like having Sheehan and, and Doris back as well, um, it's just a massive boost. And I suppose it's a reflection of the medical staff probably working overtime this week to get like two guys who 
they look like they could have been out for a while, let alone play again in it with a six-day turnaround. So um, it's remarkable, really. And, you know, I'd gotten word early in the week that they were going to be OK. And you were kind of going, really? Like, can this can this be the case? So um, you'd hope that they're going to be able to operate close to 100%. You know, they're hardly going to be fully fit. But this is the kind of game where you know and it's a once in a lifetime potentially opportunity like no like you touched on Will at the start no one no Irish team has ever won a Grand Slam in Dublin so um, it would have taken a lot I think for any of these guys to miss out on this and it's brilliant to have them back Yeah potentially Grand Slam to be won by the 20s in Cork mm. this coming weekend as well but the Ireland team in full then uh, you've got a back three they've got eight tries between them so far Hugo Keenan Mac Hansen and James Lowe centres of Robbie Henshaw and Bundiaki and Grace with those two being combined given the amount of rugby they've played together uh, going back to Robbie Henshaw's time at Con- it's a boost for Robbie Henshaw to have got 14-15 minutes into his legs last week in Murrayfield and to be able to step in now for Ring Rose alongside Aki this week Yeah and, that, and that's the crucial thing is he's getting game time and he's getting game time against England after ha- having so much time out and if Ring Rose maybe hadn't got injured you know he mightn't get those minutes so I think it's going to be crucial for him crucial for him going into a World Cup that he he's they're trying out that combination and as you say they have their familiarity of working together we've seen Bundy at 13 you know and Henshaw just that brings that bit more dynamic to that 13 role and and it'll be interesting to see how they manage that 13 you know wing channel and and making sure that we don't have the same issues that we had against Italy that there's good connection you know and and making sure that the push is coming from the inside with Bundy and and connecting and, and making sure we're covering off them outside channels but you know, it's brilliant to have him back and it's like Gibson Park. He's getting game time now as well, you know. So it, it's they're all getting game time under the belt after not having much game time this year. So I think that's just crucial because you, you just see the amount of players that have been involved. Yeah, I feel for Ringrose a little bit as mm. well, Keeney. Like he's missed some key moments because of injuries he's picked up and in this case he potentially misses out in a championship winning game. It's gutting, like absolutely gutting. Um, like that's a guy who has played such a key part in... All of Ireland's success over the last 12 months in particular, like you think he missed the third test in New Zealand as well after being so good in the first two tests. And yeah, like, you know, it was such a horrible, horrible moment. I was over in Murrayfield last weekend and um, when he went down, like literally the crowd fell silent and it was just, it was really eerie and it was awful. Um, Thankfully, the reports are that he's doing well. And my understanding is uh, that on Tuesday, when the Ireland team met up, Gary Ringrose was actually involved as well. Not obviously training, but he was in team meetings and stuff. And I believe the squad got a massive boost off that as well, just to see him. He's a key part of the leadership group, um, as well as being an outstanding player on the pitch. So um, I think that speaks a lot about the culture of, that Andy Farrell has created as well. So obviously, there was no pressure on Ringrose to come in or anything. But the fact he was able to kind of points to how much of a good place he's in you know you'd still probably expect maybe he might be stood down for a while it's not his first head injury but just from a personal point of view it's just so so disappointing but I think he's the ultimate team player like you know and he would love nothing more than to to be at the Viva on Saturday and see Ireland go and get the job done and you know it's a chance like Grace has touched on there for Robbie Henshaw to come back and it's a chance I think for Robbie Henshaw I think Robbie Henshaw prefers playing 13 Um, the problem is he's so good at playing 12 and Gary Ringrose is so good at 13 but I think uh, Henshaw got pigeonholed a little bit I think in the previous era into being you know It's important though to have one of the two fit for this just to get the combos right Absolutely like Grace touching it there like it it, it just didn't work with Stuart McCloskey and Bundyaki and um, I don't think even if Henshaw was out this weekend that we would have seen McCloskey and um, uh, Bundy going together again because it was just too clunky they're too, they're too 
types of similar players I think really uh, but Henshaw is a you know well capable of playing 13 so I wouldn't have any fears at all that the the midfield issues that we saw in Rome we'll see again this weekend I think Bundy is far more comfortable at 12 Robbie Henshaw can do a job at 13 and then when you have sex in the course alongside them as well so um, yeah it's a it's remarkable really when you're at this stage of the competition not like obviously allowing for Ian Henderson, Gary Ringrose, uh, Ronan Keller, who's missing out, and Ty Byrne is worth mentioning as well. But the amount of guys who are actually coming back from injury at this stage of the tournament is so impressive as well. Obviously, they've paid the price at the start of it, but like to bring back the calibre of uh, Gibson Park and Robbie Henshaw and Ty Furlong as well. So um, it just points, I think, to the strength and depth that Ireland are in. I think if this had been a scenario a couple of years ago, I think there would have been panic you know, spread through supporters potentially through the team like how are we going to cope with this many losses but as Andy Farrell keeps saying like bring on the adversity I'd say he's at the team hotel uh, at the moment wondering like you know what can go wrong and like let's you know let's bring it on so um, yeah it's it just speaks I think to the, the positive mindset of the coaches that's filtering down into the players Last week had to be up there Grace when you know as Keane mentions adversity and having to deal with in-game situations uh, to have lost three year key forwards to get into a situation where as much as the guy relished it and he played brilliantly when Keane Healy came in he hadn't played a hooker since he was in school um, and essentially after the match you had Andy Farrell saying we just kind of laughed about it as a group we were like nothing else can really go wrong let's just roll with the punches and see how we can work this out and Josh van der Fleer, who apparently and based on Leinster's picture they put up throws the ball in the odd time from the line out just as practice I think as most uh, forwards do at training but he had no real formal experience of playing in a hooker position in line outs they had to just deal with all that last week and they still held Scotland scoreless in the second half yeah, and it's, you know, it's a testament to their performance coach, to that mindset, you know, it, instead of heads dropping and go, oh my God, we've lost, just lost Ian Henderson and Caelan Doris. We've had a try disallowed, which injured Caelan Doris. You know, w- what are we doing? This is a joke, you know, oh my God, this is going to be the banana skin. But to keep that momentum going, to have faith in the process. And and as you say, like Keen Healy played hooker, uh, you know, in, in school, but and then half me is like, are you sure? Like, this is a well-prepped Irish team. They seem to have gone above and beyond, whether it be mental, with their fitness, with their skill level. So, like, would they have prepared? You know, we've seen a lot of teams be bitten in the last few years where they've lost two front rows. I think was it Italy last year where they got a red card after getting an injury and then they're down to 13 players. So, you know, I'm kind of going, mm, did you do a bit of homework? Did you say, right, if this scenario happens, yeah, we can put Keane in. And, you know, you're saying Van der Fleer, he did very well for someone that just um, does it the odd time. So, and and then, you know, it's credited them to keep their head going. And I think Scotland will be kicking themselves that they didn't, you know, challenge more in the front of that line out and, and put them under pressure. But, yeah, it, it's a really good mindset and it's just keep going forward you know what we used to say like like that you know once the set piece is over we know where we need to be it doesn't matter what numbers on our back just keep going and we know what the game plan is no matter if we're out of position you know in set piece but yeah so i think they can withstand anything now you know uh and and they'll just know right well we can deal with it. we can still still win ugly games not play you know, a full 80 minutes and, and wear teams down even with everyone out of position. Scottish team must be thinking back to Keenan saying, because Josh Van Fleer pointed out himself, he's like, the one thing I didn't want to happen was someone going, throw it out the back or do something complicated. He stayed conservative. The Irish players came to the front of the lineout, made his throws reasonably simple. But Ireland were very conservative as a result off the lineouts. Why didn't Scotland challenge them more? 
rookie it forward. Was, it was such a chance. It was bizarre. It, like it, it was such a damning, I think, indictment on Scotland there. I think the coaching as, as well as the players, because if the players didn't have the smarts, which they should have at the time, to get the message down onto the the pitch. Like the funny thing was, um, Van der Fleer actually went to the tail for the first throw and had an overthrow, and you're kind of going. Geez, like this is like seriously like risky, but it was a kind of an interesting battle of wits, I think, because Scotland, you know, the logical thing was throw to the front and just try and secure your ball. Um, and you have to remember as well that Ian Henderson was off the pitch, who's Ireland's main line-out caller. So James Ryan took on the line-out calling, but also was helped out by Peter O'Mahony, who would call the line-outs in Munster. And I don't think you can underestimate the role that those two guys, and in particular Peter O'Mahony, like Peter O'Mahony clearly said to Josh van der Fleer, if you throw the ball to the front, I will win it. Keep like to have that kind of comfort blanket. And there were a couple of times where Scotland, you know, did kind of attempt to challenge, but Peter O'Mahony was, no one was going to take the ball off him. And that takes a lot of leadership, I think, from a guy in, we speak about Scotland, you know, kind of not having the intelligence to, you know, step up and realise the situation. Well, you flipped on, a, on its head and look at how calm Ireland stayed. They didn't panic. Um, you know, as soon as Ronan Kelleher went down with about 10 minutes, I think, left mm-hmm. in the first half, you could see Keen Healy down in front of us, came off the bench and he was down his hands and knees um, practising his line-out throwing. And you're kind of going, wow, if this happens, like Ireland are in serious trouble. We were chatting to Josh van der Fleer yesterday, actually, and he was saying that Dan Sheehan has banned him now from uh, line-out throwing and training just in case he takes his place. Uh, Johnny Sexton seemingly has had to hide his uh, kicking tee for fear that van der Fleer will step up and start well, taking goal quite worryingly, so. if you're uh, Johnny Sexton right now, maybe he's not worried from beyond uh, December, but did you see the video of the Leinster right out today? Yeah, of Keen Keen Healy, Healy, yeah. Putting a drop goal over from basically the halfway line. Yeah, and like Keen Healy, there's clips of Keen Healy doing rounds as well of like in the warm-up when he flicks the ball up with his... Like, so these guys are just like super talented like Andy Farrell was making the point um, after the game on Sunday that Josh van der Fleer took up golf three years ago and he's already down to single figures I mean like some people just get it all don't they like they like, just share it around a bit like so um, but yeah like I mean all jokes aside like for Ireland to have you know recognised the issue and Grace touched on an interesting point there about the fact that Keen Healy was put down on the team sheet which is a really really important uh, thing like it's just a bit of red tape but if Keane Healy hadn't been marked as the hooker then he wouldn't have been allowed play for safety reasons but it was on the back of that Italy game that Ireland said like we need to do everything we can to never find ourselves in that situation and again it, like it's such a, a stream of unlikely events that it would happen that you would lose your two hookers but they were prepared for it uh, I'd say they didn't think it would happen as soon as it did but again it just it, it just points to I think the coaching staff not wanting to leave any stone unturned and like it's just it's so so impressive that they've you know managed to do it and they're still managing to do it and you know I kind of joke in there about Andy Farrell sitting in the hotel welcoming adversity but if something was to happen and if Caelan Doris or Dan Sheehan weren't quite fully fit when by the time get the game comes around you'd have full confidence in whoever it is be it Jack Conan or Rob Herring to, to step in because every one of these players seems to know their roles to an inch of its life, but also know, like, you know, what do I have to do in a case of emergency, like Keen Healy and Josh van der Fleer. Like, I'm sure there's guys in the squad who are practicing other roles, like a guy like Jimmy O'Brien, who's on the bench this weekend, has probably been training in each of the backs positions because he's so versatile. So um, it's just really, really impressive. Mm. Grace, when it comes to this weekend, it seems in many ways, there have been two goals that Jonathan Sexton has had for the last three or four years, which is the captain Leinster to try and win a Champions Cup. He could get the opportunity to do that at the Aviva Stadium later this year with the form that Leinster have shown. And he wanted to captain Ireland to a Six Nations title. I guess the cherry on top is the Grand Slam potentially against England on Saturday evening as well. 
it looks like it's written in the stars. It's going to probably be his last ever game at the Aviva because I would think he'd be rested for the warm-up games ahead of the World Cup. But he was a guy, when he was asked about it yesterday, was remarkably calm. He said, and I'm sure these are just the right things to say anyway, but he said, it's all about this game. It's not about me going past Ron Nagar's record. It's not about me thinking about what kind of ovation I'm going to get a full time at the Aviva this weekend. Johnny Sexton is entirely focused and keeping his emotions in check ahead of what's a huge game in his career. Yeah, and that's it. You can get ahead of yourself and and think of, oh, if we win this game, you know, what it means and it's my last game and, and you know, I'll never be in this situation again. But you can't, and I've no doubt, like, you know, you look at the start of the year and, and they were second in the world. They just beat New Zealand, South Africa, Australia really toughly. And, and you know, they knew they could beat France from previous matches. So, but they still didn't get ahead of themselves. They still took it one game at a time. They still focused on what they needed to improve on, you know, when they talk about those, you know, tiny changes, tiny improvements every week, it doesn't matter how good they are. And and that's really hard to keep going when you are winning. And, you know, I have no doubt on Saturday when he's out there, they'll all be focusing on their next job. What's my next job, right? We score a try. Let's go. Let's regather this kick. Where are we going to be? You know, what rook do we need to win? And it's going to be about the performance. It's it's going to be nothing about, you know, who's scoring, how many tries. Oh, Saxon, he's, he needs to kick this because he's going to get, you know, top point score ever. It, it's going to be just one moment at a time. And, you know, we were talking about this going, there's no doubt, yeah, he'll have that enjoyment inside, but he'll be like, yeah, next job, great. I'm top of the scoreboard, but let's go. It, it means nothing if we don't beat England and, you know, finish finish this game on a high. So, um, and then, yeah, once the final whistle blows, you know, then then it's like, wow, look what we've achieved and try and relish that. I, I Like, I would have had regrets in the past of going next job, next job. And even when the, the games are over and go, oh, yeah, that's great. And, and not really relishing it. And I think our players now are, are getting a lot better of going, being that present moment. And I know their performance coach speaks about it, but enjoy then after the fact that you're in Dublin it's the first home Grand Slam barred Belfast if if it happened which you hope it would and and just relish it then when the final whistle goes the pressure's off and and you can enjoy it then that's interesting Grace you say you probably didn't enjoy it in the moment because I think back to I remember looking at the pictures from Italy in the muck and the dirt when your team won the Grand Slam and uh, the great performance that your group of players had at the World Cup. I think it was only this week that they had um, Alison Miller's try up as one of the best tries in the history of the Women's World Cup and everything that was achieved as a group and the kind of, I guess, the groundbreaking performances and finishes that you had in major championships. But still at the same time, you were still thinking about the next, uh, what was the next challenge, I guess, as opposed to being able to actually soak it in. Uh, maybe that's just natural for athletes, though, that it, naturally it, it, you it, just it, think about what's next. It is. And, you, and you'll always critique. I think that's how, you know, people achieve, you know, everything that they can is is by going, yeah, I won that, but I maybe didn't have the greatest performance or I could have done more. And what am I going to do next year? And, you know, it, it definitely was something in the World Cup, you know, when when we finished, um, we, we finished fourth and we lost to France in, in that semi-final or the third, fourth playoff after losing the semi-final. And you're just going, that's the one that left us behind, you know, you're kind of going to semi-final, not so much, England were brilliant, but for France to beat us, you go home from that World Cup and you don't look at the success that you've you've done, you look at, you know, the what-ifs, so I've no doubt, you know, they have yeah, they have their psychologists, they're going through all that and they'll just be focusing on this and I've no doubt, you know, especially when Saxon knows this is his last time here, you know, he will 
And like it is, it's just an amazing opportunity to get the Grand Slam at home with an underperforming English team. No great super going, kid. I was just going to say, this is something I've actually spoken to James Ryan about in the past. So if you think back to 2018 when Ireland won the Grand Slam and he was his first season, it was Andrew Porter's first season and they won a Grand Slam, Leinster won the Heineken Cup and you're kind of thinking, remember James Ryan went on this like mad unbeaten, yeah. unbeaten streak and we all kept asking him about it. I'm sure he was really annoyed, but... Um, Rob Kearney uh, addressed um, or came up to James Ryan in the dressing room in Twickenham that day, um, Paddy's Day in 2018 and said, you need to savour this. Like this is not, it's not always like this, you know, and sure enough, like Ireland have had to wait, you know, another whatever it is years to to get another chance to win a Grand Slam. So I think it's such a good point that, that Grace makes. I think Sexton will be someone I think that will be really driving that message this week because he's obviously been there. He's done it. But I think he needs to get the message across to the guys that Rob Carney did in 2018 that you've got to, if you get the job done, like you've got to cherish these moments. And I think supporters do as well, really. You know, like this is such a massive, massive weekend for Irish rugby. Will, you touched in the 20s going for a Grand Slam in Musgrave Park on Sunday. And just even as I was walking in here, there was uh, loads of Irish fans standing outside the Ireland team hotel already. Like, you know, there is a serious, serious buzz um, about this, like with being Paddy's weekend and all that's in it. But these are really, really special times for Irish rugby. Um, obviously, they have to go and get the job done, but this is an exceptional Ireland team. It's not always going to be like this. You know, they're playing the best rugby in the world. Like every team is analysing them so much because they want to know how are Ireland playing like this. So um, that's a, that brings pressure, though, with it as well. You know, um, we've mentioned several times that no Irish team has you know won a Grand Slam in Dublin and that brings a lot of pressure like they're they're trying to frame it as a final which obviously it is and they did the same for the third test in New Zealand last summer and that was a bit different because number one no one expected them to win that third test and number two it was at the other side of the world you didn't have the the hype wasn't the same you know it was on early morning here but um, now it's very different like you know the players have been speaking about it all week Johnny Sexton said he's had to turn his phone off because he's trying to just keep you know focused on the task at hand anytime they're out in the street going to the shop people and it's all goodwill people are wishing them luck but that brings pressure as well because the players know what's at stake but also I think the external the public do as well so um Everything points to Ireland being in a place on the back of, you know, Grace is touching at the work that they've done with Gary Keegan, that their mental resilience like that they showed again last week means that they should get the job done. But I just think, you know, being at home and it's going to be great just brings a different kind of pressure, I think, that they're going to have to handle. Yeah, no Ireland team's ever beaten an England team at Manitoulagi in it. Mm. He is going to start it inside centre. Uh, the England team named a little bit earlier today as well. So Tuolagi's been picked at 12. Owen Farrell has been picked it out half. A lot of this was kind of telegraphed, I think, during the week by the English press. It was very yeah. clear where they were going to go. So Marcus Smith is on the bench. And that means a fundamental shift after what happened last week. Yeah, and we spoke about this at length on, on last week's show. Like, I just don't think Steve Wardwick knows if he's if he's coming or going. Um, I I found it strange that Marcus Smith was playing because I just don't think Marcus Smith is a Steve Borthwick type player. As exceptional as Marcus Smith is, he hasn't proven himself at, at test level yet. Like it wasn't his fault that England got absolutely hammered last week, but he didn't exactly press his claims to, you know, say that I am going to be the next long term England ten. So um it's hard to know whether they're coming or going England and I don't think Bortwick knows as well. Uh, I mean Manu Tulagi has been so injury prone over the last few years and 
lots of people, English supporters, and you know, okay, he's what is it, six games? He's he's never lost. Miss rugby due to suspension. He's not coming yeah, like, in off the back of a good run. Exactly, and he hasn't been the same player that everyone kind of likes to think he was when he was one of the best leading centres. I know Brian O'Driscoll speaks really highly of him as well, but he's not the same player he was. So. Um, England are going to come to the end of the six, six Nations, I think, and like be wondering, like, what did we actually, not did what did we achieve? Because clearly they're not going to have achieved anything. But in terms of actually building and going forward by playing all these guys, like there hasn't been, I don't think, that shift that they were hoping for. And the ironic thing was, like, they there was booze in Twickenham last November before Eddie Jones got the sack, and it was because the side of rugby wasn't, you know, what they wanted to see. But then they got a guy in Steve Borthwick who. If anyone watched his Leicester Tigers team, now they won a premiership with it, but like it's rugby from the dark ages, really. Like, you know, and once Leicester got into the Champions Cup, they didn't fire a shot. It was the same when Harlequins won the premiership and got into the Champions Cup, they didn't fire a shot. Now, Harlequins obviously play very differently to Leicester, but I think it's similar to Warren Gatlin taking over Wales in terms of Borthwick. The game has moved on. You know, the game has moved on from that kind of attritional rate. Now, South Africa would probably argue that they can still do it, but they have the cattle to do it. I just don't, I don't look at this England pack and go, they're going to be able to beat up Ireland this weekend, which has happened um, in the past. So um, picking Smith last week was interesting, but I just never felt like that this was going to be the way forward for England under Borswick. I actually still think that... um, Come the World Cup, I would not be surprised if everyone's fit. Uh, if George Ford is the starting uh, England ten, he delivered so time and time again for Borthwick uh, at Leicester, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be a Ford Farrell. And you talk about Back to the Future, like that's kind of what they were doing years ago. So Marcus Smith's in a bit of limbo, you know. Um, Nick Evans is in as tack coach. I was making this point last week that maybe he was having a bit more of a an influence, but I wonder how much of it was. Borthwick and I don't know and this might sound harsh but I wonder how much of it was kind of playing to the public perception because there are so many calls for England to get Marcus Smith in let's go in this new direction but there's no point in putting Marcus Smith in the team unless you're going to put everything else around him and change the philosophy as well so there's been nothing to suggest um, in England so far that that's the way they're going to move to play and I think you're you're going through the team selection there that suggests you know we know we're going to expect from them uh, against Ireland on Saturday Yeah so the England team uh, starting from fullback so Freddie Stewart's going to be a fullback Anthony Watson on one wing, they're going to have uh, Henry Ardenell on the other wing. The midfield is Slade and Tuolagi. Owen Farrell is going to captain the team from 10. Van Porfleet is number nine. Then the forwards going from the front row, Ellis Genge is going to be at loose head. Jamie George is playing hooker. Uh, Sinclair is on the tight head side. Itoji and Rivens are going to be in the second row. Ludlam, Willis and Dombrandt are going to be the back row. So that is the England team for this week. And it's one of the things, Grace, it, it seems almost like a reset after what happened last week against France, but it's not down to the 10-12 channel why they were conceding as much as they did last week at Twickenham in that record defeat. No, it wasn't. And, you, you know, yes, you can see Marcus Smith's a bit of a maverick and, and they don't, you know, you can't visibly see a game plan bar, kick it in behind and hope the opposition makes mistakes. But, you know, when you look, there's Chesham is missing there again. You know, Laws is out. Toje just had, he's not been as ruthless or, or as uh, aggressive in the rook area as other years. You know, he just seems to be not firing. You know, they're not, they're missing the likes of the big ball carriers like Billy Villapola. So it, it they just don't seem, and, and like I, I love, um, uh, what do you say? The back row, what which the flanker, Jack Willis. Yeah, Jack, Jack Willis. Willis. I love him. I love his story. I love the fact that you know he came back. He had done his knee. He came back. He got injured again. He's come back, but he's just not 
back on that performance form, you know, where he's getting stuck in and and having those big aggressive carries. And when you when you look at who he's opposite and Van der Fleer and where he's at, and I think, you know, you look how Ireland have developed, and you see the likes of Tig Furlong when teams are like, oh my god, he's he's stepping people and he's a prop. But that's what Irish rugby expects now. You know, they want the Tig burn, they want the Tig Furlongs. You know, Conan, all those big guys are able to run direct, but they're able to use their feet, evade, get the offload, put somebody else through a gap, get the pullbacks. You know, so they've such grown in such their skill sets that you don't know where the threat is. You don't know whether it's going to be up front or pull back. And and whereas England just don't seem to have that. They're trying to bulldog through, you know, keep going or kick it. When they go through like five, six phases, haven't really got anywhere, then right, we'll kick it down or or they actually slow the ball down to, to box, kick it back. So, you know, I, I I just see the pack not matching up. Even though, yeah, their scrums, line outs, you look statistically, they're really positive and they've got one of the highest ones in the Six Nations, but that doesn't mean that. And if, if you're not winning games and, and you can't uh, manage around the park and especially the ruck speed, no, for sure. We'll talk more about the English uh, Challenge and also the other games on Saturday when we come back in a moment. The Six Nations Show is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. The Six Nations Show on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. The Six Nations Show on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, we all belong to the team of us. Welcome back. Grace Davis, Keen Tracy here with me. We're looking forward to the games at the weekend, on the final weekend of the Six Nations Championship. Uh, understandably, with a bit of a focus on Ireland against England, where Ireland could potentially uh, win the championship and with it a grand slam. Keen, we've been accused a few times across the week of being a little bit dismissive of England and the challenge that they bring. But I was listening to the post-mortem on ITV last weekend where you had Woodward and also Johnny Wilkinson talking. And Johnny Wilkinson was trying to give some crumbs of comfort, I think, to English supporters by saying, look, we shipped a couple of heavy beatings. He referenced he played against South Africa and New Zealand where 50-odd points were run up on them and they were able to reset pretty quickly. But I can't help but think this England team are too far down the road even going to a World Cup to be able to turn this round at this stage. Yeah, I probably I didn't see ITV uh, the coverage, but I'm not surprised. Wilkinson was probably glass half full because he still works with a lot of the players. He works with the kickers, so he's kind of semi part of the the coaching staff, which is just an interesting dynamic in itself. Um, yeah, look. <laughs> Grace touched on a couple of interesting points. I think before the break, just in terms of the the pack and a big reason I think England haven't been as good as what they were is Itoje just hasn't been the same player. And like he did an interview last week in one of the English papers, and he said that he had an underlying health uh, condition that was actually hindering him over the last while. So, you know, you don't know what's going on. I suppose outside of the the eighty minutes that we get to see on the pitch, but um, I just think the balance of their team, their front row, grand like that's settled and that's decent on its day. But for me, the back row is is a big, big issue for for England. Um, like Grace touching Jack Willis, and you know he's had it obviously a difficult time. He was with Wasps, he's gone over to Toulouse now, and it sounds like he's going to sign on and stay with Toulouse. But like the guys either side of him, Don Brandon Ludlam. I mean, I just I I'm. I don't get the the English uh, Alex Dombrand hype, I have to say. Um, I think there's an element that he's a bit of a flat track bully. I think when he's playing in the Premiership um, and playing against, you know, weaker teams, he can look exceptional. But, I mean, he hasn't done much in an English shirt. Um, and I think he's very lucky to be keeping his place this weekend. I actually think he's probably a, a, a sort of a consequence of 
the premiership being overhyped to the absolute max. Like we've seen it time and time again that like if you watch the premiership on the the channel that it's on, you would swear that it is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's repeatedly shown that it's not. And I think that's a big issue for England at the moment. Um, there's no relegation in the Premiership at the moment. So you're seeing these mad high scoring games. But like when it comes to Test Rugby, that's not really what it's about. Unless you're playing France at Twickenham, of course, and they put the, the high score on you. So I just don't think that that's good preparation. I made the point about uh, Leicester and Harlequins earlier when they were champions, barely fired a shot in the Champions Cup. Le- Leinster went over to Welford Road um, in the quarterfinal and did an absolute number on them. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big issue. I think scrum half is an issue. I have not been impressed with Jack Van Portfleet, I think, at all. Um, I was kind of surprised maybe that they didn't go back to Ben Youngs, given that they're going back to the rest of the kind of the golden oldies. And OK, like maybe, you know, Borthwick wants to stick with him and he sees him being the scrum half going to the World Cup. But God, like, I mean... If you compare the two scrum halves, which may be a little bit unfair that were on show last weekend, like Van Poorfield and DuPont, it was men against boys stuff, really. So um, I think Ireland will look at the English back row and I think they'll look to get after uh, Jack Van Poorfield. So uh, there are a couple, I think, weaknesses that I see in that English pack. And it seems like Borthwick is going to stick with um, these guys going towards the World Cup. Obviously, Tom Curry is, is injured at the moment and he's definitely a loss from the back row. But if England are going to the World Cup, to go back to your original point and... Van Port beats the scrum half and Alex Dombrandt's the number eight. Like th- the only thing in their favour is they have it they're at the favourable side of the draw, which is another story in itself that just the, the half of the draw that Ireland and Scotland are on. But I wouldn't so Argentina probably licking their lips, and I'm sure Eddie yeah. Jones is looking at this potentially playing a quarter final yeah. against them as well. And like they do have time to turn around, and I am conscious of the fact that when Andy Farrell took over as Ireland head coach, it wasn't great at the start, but they never had a hammering like uh, England had at home, a record defeat at home. So um, you would still be cautious of them turning up, but all logic would suggest that this Ireland team are in a, just a different stratosphere altogether compared to England. Um, would you agree with that, Chris? Even if England come and bring a big challenge and there's a reaction to what happened last week at Twickenham, Ireland should still have enough for them? Yeah, totally. And and they have that mindset that they can wear them down. So th- there'll be no panic. There'll be... You know, yeah, war of attrition at the start, you know, b- break them down, kick them behind them, win the territory. You know, they're two territorial teams, but, you know, all it takes one opportunity for Ireland. You know, England's biggest thing is is kicking behind. You know, we see how dangerous Ireland are with the likes of Logan and uh, Hansen, man of the match again last week. So it, it only takes one opportunity. And I know Ireland with that counter attack, we see their like secret sneaky plays, you know, that they get. Uh, tries from so I have no doubt they'll wear this England team down you know they'll make the changes they'll bring on fresh legs and and they'll just keep turning the screw and it, it might not be pretty at times but I have no doubt like that they still will win even if it is a, a, a really big battle If anyone is following Mystic Andy Dunn who has been very good <laughs> in his predictions so far I think it was 28-10 he went for last night in Wednesday Night Rugby maybe the points total was to go for 32 though the last two times Ireland have beaten England in the last couple of years They've scored 32 points exactly. So there is a trend towards that number. But um, yeah, Andy reckons around 18 points being the difference this time around. He was spot on with both the France and Scotland games so far. So one to watch out for. Uh, also on Saturday afternoon, we've got Wales keen very much going back to basics uh, with the way they've picked their team and huge experience in that pack again, which is weird because at the start it was like, oh, all the golden oldies are back to play against Ireland. Then let's introduce some players. Then understandably, there's been a lot of off the field so you can understand mm-hmm. some of the mix up. But then very much going back to these elder statesmen in the front row, guys with 100 plus caps. 
as they go up against France in Paris. Yeah, like I kind of touched on this earlier when I was making the point about England not knowing whether whether they're coming or going. Like it must be just so frustrating to be a Welsh supporter given everything that's going on off the pitch, but also you haven't a clue what team is going to play week to week. And I just I don't know like by the end of it when Warren Gatland kind of reflects on you know Wales's campaign in terms of like who has he blooded and how is the World Cup team going to look? I don't really think he's going to be um, that much wiser. He's tried a lot of young guys, but. If you are going to try these young guys, surely you have to stick with them and give them a chance. This is a free shot for, for Wales this weekend. Now, I know it's in Paris and it could be ugly and maybe that does factor into the thinking that you don't want to, it doesn't want to be like lambs to the slaughter in terms of throwing in loads of young guys. But it's a dead rubber. Would you not like to throw them in now and, you know, see how they cope with playing in Paris, which, you know, the World Cup is going to be on in France. You're going to have to get used to everything that comes with that. Whereas they're gone back to, like you said, the likes of Bigger. They're gone back to... Um, who would have gone back to Tipperick and Faletau and all these lads like the centres Nick Tompkins and George North again like last week they were looking like okay they have a potentially exciting new centre combination and I know they haven't exactly shot the lights out but again I just think you, you have to back these guys and give them time particularly that you've nothing you've nothing to play for so um, yeah Welsh rugby is in a really really tricky spot obviously they got the win last weekend and lots of people were kind of back in Italy almost to, to get the job done but Italy were really really disappointing so maybe they'll take they'll, they'll take some confidence going into that but God like after seeing how well France played uh, last week if Wales don't turn up like that could be a really really heavy scoreline like I'd be I'd be fearful for Wales going to Paris this weekend mm, Grace there is that potential for this to put a very different complexion on the championship for France because the way they look at it is okay they laboured a little bit to the victory against Scotland after giving Ireland a right good push at the Aviva then they go and put a record scoreline up on England last week and if they finish out with a good win against Wales they're thinking things are just cooking nicely ahead of a home World Cup here yeah, it is. and But at the same time, you know, hammering England's great, you know, but does it teach you anything? Probably not. You know, yeah, it shows how well you've done. and But does it show where your weakness is and, and you know, the kinks in the chain are? No, when you look at our Italy game and, you know, we didn't perform very well. We know we've seen issues out in that 13 channel, but then that means we can actually work on them. We can see where teams might try and attack us, what the issues are. And I think that's, you know, they'll probably focus on that. Uh, France, you know, post Ireland game and we're like, right, we need to be better here. This is where we were struggling and, and then put a great score against England. But you know, playing Wales, I, I don't see it as any challenge to them. I think, you know, with the momentum and the speed of play that they have and, and the movement and counter-attack, I just think it's going to be just a mediocre game for them. And, like, it's you want the big, hard games. You want the challenges. You want to be able to learn more about yourself than the opposition, especially going into a World Cup. And it, it, I don't know depend on how well Wales do but I, I can see where, uh, France just steamrolling them to be honest I, I thought last week was a really actually important moment for France um, they hadn't won a Twickenham in a long time it was also the last time they're going to be playing away from home for a very long time as well so I think that was a big monkey off their back they had to get but I also think it was the manner in which they played and I do agree with Grace obviously like England how poor England were massively contributed to this but France hadn't been playing well and they hadn't been playing good rugby, I would say, in the Six Nations so far. So they won a Grand Slam last year, but they kicked the ball a lot. They kicked the ball more than any team. And 
I think that that's all well and good when you're winning. But if there's any fans that are going to get on your back, it's the French. So while that style is grand when you're winning, I think when it goes wrong, I think you'd start seeing little cracks. But what we saw last week was the Jouet France of old and it was stunning to watch. Absolutely stunning. So um, my sense would be that maybe, you know, France and there was, there's been a bit of chat about this, that they kind of front loaded the competition in terms of how hard they were working the players because they're going to taper them off as they go towards the World Cup. And obviously they're different because they're playing week in, week out in the top 14 and they've become more better aligned with that. But I felt like that was a big moment because not just did they win at Twickenham, they won away from home, the style of rugby that they played. It was a reminder, I think, that of, wow, this French team is exceptional when they turn it on. They didn't let up either. Like They easily could have almost effectively declared it 50 minutes yeah. in, but they decided to keep demolishing. You saw the scenes in the, the coach's box and what it meant and you saw Fabien Galte was really emotional uh, after the game. So, yeah, I felt like that was a big moment. Obviously, the focus in that game has mostly been on England because they were so dire, but um, that is a warning, I think, for, for Ireland as much as anyone else if they were to come up with France in the World Cup that... Okay, beating them in Dublin was one thing, but like once you get to the Stade de France, um, I know the game was on a Twickenham last weekend, but they're bloody tough to beat there. And that was just a reminder that they haven't gone away. Mm. Big weekend for Ben Healy as well, Grace. Uh, coming up from, so Finn Russell misses out this weekend with injury, so Blair Kinghorn is going to start at 10, but Healy has been named on the bench for Scotland, so he's in line to come on and win his first cap in the early kickoff. That's the 12.30 match at Murrayfield when Scotland play against Italy. Disappointing, obviously, last week for Scotland to miss out on the opportunity of winning a first-generation uh, triple crown for them. But there's still the opportunity for them to finish well up the table if they're to get a good win against Italy. And for Ben Healy, this is going to be a special moment. And this is what it's all been about, about joining up with this squad to now get a chance to get some game time ahead of the World Cup and his first cap in the Six Nations as well. Yeah, and, you know, what a team to do it against Italy. You know, you're against Garbisi. He's, you know, key player for Italy and and he's an amazing player. And I, I think it's nice for Healy, he's going to be on that bench. He's going to see what way Italy are playing. You know, he'll have done his analysis, get Kinghorn to, you know, bet in there and hopefully get a few scores up. I've no doubt. I, I, I really believe Scotland are going to win the game. I know Italy are a tough opposition, but I think Scotland are, are, are very good. And, you know, we saw how well they did against Ireland in, in the very start of that game last week. So, you know, he can watch. And I, I think when you become part of a team like that and, you know, obviously he's, he's with Scotland and he's relishing that, you know, the last thing you want is not to get the opportunity to show yourself and, and show why you've put all this work in, why you've made this move. And uh, I, I hope he gets a chance. I hope he gets to come on. And, and you know, I, I really believe that Scotland will get the win. So if they get a few scores up and, and he, he gets the opportunity to come on, especially it would have been hard if he was on the bench, you know, behind Russell, you maybe wouldn't have seen it as much but you know this is you have to take your opportunities in rugby someone else's loss is your game Yeah I thought last week it was just going to work out in such a way that he mm. might be on the bench to play against Ireland but the opportunity is going to come from at some point uh, this weekend where he gets time to show what Gregor Townsend said this guy can be a game changer he was talking about how well he kicks and the lines that he runs for Munster I genuinely feel that Townsend is actually a bit of a Healy fan Oh, well, he absolutely is. There's a reason he's leaving Munster at the end of the season. There's a reason he's playing for Scotland. There's a reason why Glasgow tried to get him a couple of years ago. Gregor Townsend has been the one behind this from from day dot as soon as it became apparent that he was Scottish qualified through his mother's side of the family. So 
it's a great story. Like Munster fans would obviously prefer that if he was staying, but like this is a this is a show of ambition from a young guy who wants to play Test rugby. Um, I believe Andy Farrell had a conversation with him, and he was honest and upfront and kind of told him where he stood in the pecking order. And Ben Healy said, "Like, hey, it's just a short career. Like, let's go and make the most of it." And when I was over in Scotland last weekend, I was chatting to a couple of uh, Scottish journalists just trying to get a sense of how he was getting on. And they said he the word on the ground is that he's been getting on really, really well in training and. Obviously, you know, it was going to take an injury, although I still wonder if Ben Healy might have gotten his chance just to make sure that Gregor Townsend captures him, not that they'd be that cynical. But sometimes people work like that, just get him capped and make sure that there's no chance that Ireland can come back and get him before the World Cup or whatever. So, uh, yeah, the word on the ground over in Scotland is that he's been training really, really well. He was actually doing the warm up last weekend against Ireland. So it kind of showed you how tantalisingly close that situation was if Ben Healy had come on and kicked a winning penalty. Uh, I think he travelled to Paris with the squad. So he's been in the thick of it. Uh, He's going well. And yeah, like, I think, you know, Grace touched on Blair Kinghorn there. Like, I still think Blair Kinghorn's best position is in the back three, potentially a fullback. And there's been a lot of Scottish fans who, you know, Stuart Hogg won his 100 cap last week, but there's been a few kind of murmurings that maybe Blair Kinghorn could be a better option, you know, a kind of a, a younger version, if you like, of Hogg. And I wouldn't be convinced of Blair Kinghorn as a 10. Now, he could have a good game, but it'll be against Italy. But if it doesn't go well for ben, uh, Blair Kinghorn, like Ben Healy could come on and it's a real opportunity to become the backup 10 to, to Finn Russell come the World Cup. Um, obviously, his kind of main job, I think, at the moment is to make sure he's in the squad. But I think the, the stars got a line here for him. And then, you know, if Finn Russell wants to pick up an injury, then Ben Healy is suddenly the starting Scotland ha- out half, potentially against Ireland in the World Cup pool stages, would be, which would be amazing, really, an amazing story. So, uh, yeah, it's a great story and delighted for him. Grace, just to give Italy a final word here, we talked last week on the show about you know how impressive some of the performances have been, but they'll probably be horribly disappointed if they end this without a win at the end of the Six Nations. And last week, to me, it felt like a massive opportunity lost against the Wales team. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's just another letdown. It's like, oh, you know, the Italy team that nearly nearly did it you know i heard a couple of the players and they're just saying yeah great we put performances in but if we don't get the wins and we don't get you know moved up the pecking order then what is the point but yeah for the spectator you're seeing every year how the gap is closing you know we see that first game against france and they were immense they were immense in the pack their physicality you know their strength their footwork just their decision making we see a few years ago, you know, those offloads wouldn't have gone to hand. They would have thrown away opportunities. But now we see them stick a lot more often. I still think they need to work on that exit strategy. You know, I think they would give any coach a heart attack with the way they throw the ball around. And, you know, you have Vardy, who's young, you know, when he's in there and he's a bit green at times with that exit. But I've no doubt, you know, they'll keep developing and, you know, it's just heartbreaking that they didn't get the win against France. And and like, as you say, then Wales, but Wales had their back against the wall as well, you know, and they really, you know, needed to get that win. So it's it's really difficult at the bottom of the pool, you know, and you, you, England are there now in that, that bottom three as well. And and every every match is, is a battle to, to try and move up that leaderboard and not get that wooden spoon. Yeah, we're going to have updates and reaction across the weekend. Huge uh, Saturday of rugby coming up uh, here on Off the Ball. You can catch all the reaction on Sunday's Off the Ball as well. You have been listening and watching the Six Nations show with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. 
The Six Nations Show on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. difficult at the bottom of the pool you know and you, you England are there now in that that bottom three as well and and every every match is is a battle to to try and move up that leaderboard and not get that wooden spoon 
Yeah, we're going to have updates and reaction across the weekend. Huge uh, Saturday of rugby coming up uh, here on Off the Ball. You can catch all the reaction on Sunday's Off the Ball as well. You have been listening and watching the Six Nations show with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. The Six Nations show on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.